Welcome to see everybody this morning. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here at the crossing and glad for you to be here. If you're the new, come here for the first time or even first time in a while, you're always welcome to be able to have everybody here joining us together in worship. But this morning, we are going to be taking a break from the series we've been going through in the book of Daniel, just focusing on just a Sunday on Advent because we started this whole candle reef and things. Now, if you're like me, when Mary, um, when holding about Advent, I remember as, as a child when my, my parents would just bring me to church. The Sunday after Thanksgiving was always when we started to celebrate Advent. I just remembered going to church and all of a sudden they would light candles or similar to this and have a reef and you just, just have the readings and all. And I always wondered, like, why would we even celebrate Advent? Because it's supposed to be celebrating how Jesus had, had come, but technically he already came. And so for, for many years, after a while, I just stopped celebrating Advent. I didn't have no reason to just observe it. Because I'd really, I probably would have understood better if, had I paid attention in church, of course, but I just didn't know why. And it wasn't until a few years ago I started to realize the importance of why we celebrate Advent. Because Advent it wasn't just a, a time for them to just anticipate the coming of Christ for the first time. Because during this whole season, we were approaching to the Christmas stories and into the Christmas theme, it's so easy for all of us to be able to get caught up in just thinking about gifts or gatherings, and that's all we think about. But Advent has been a time, at least for me, and that's why I started observing it again, is to be able to slow down and realize what the season is all about. Because it's not just about celebrating Christ coming for the first time, but as Jesus' followers, it's about celebrating Christ who's coming back again. And because the same anticipation that we are supposed to have of Christ returning, um, coming back, it's the same anticipation that they had back in their time when they were anticipating when Christ were to come for the very first time. And that's why we continue wanting to celebrate Advent, so that when we start looking into like the Christmas story, we see these nativity scenes that are about to be set up, or we have Christmas lights we see all around our neighborhoods, it's for us to remember why Jesus came and that Jesus is coming back again. And in the Christmas story that I wanted, to, the part of the Christmas story that I want to touch upon this morning, it's what I call a not as touched upon story a lot, because it takes part of the story in where we see the characters of the young couple, Mary and Joseph, in the time before they're about to get married. So it's a time span of the wedding time right before they are to be getting married. And even if you think about weddings, even for ourselves, think about the last wedding that you're at. More often than not, and we were, at, we were watching a wedding, or maybe it would be your own, when the groom comes walks into the room, all it does is really signal that the bride is coming. And most modern day weddings, what we've noticed and we experienced is that in weddings, the focus is all on the bride, which it should be, it's okay. But when we read into today's story though, the focus, and just to give the background, it's actually on the groom. For, for a moment. So we, we, we kind of have that little switch of mindset as we, we look into that. Because when we're focusing on this, the groom, with Mary and Joseph, and Joseph is in this one part of the story where we actually don't hear much about him after this story. If we read Matthew chapter 1. I mean, even you think about the nativity scenes that you've seen around town or you might have seen set up. I mean, Joseph might be lucky to be even in that scene. You'll see Mary, maybe Joseph, like the wise men, and maybe that's Joseph on the side. I mean, he's not always there. I mean, he's almost sometimes forgotten, but he's written in the story is because we had to learn about his faith and the humility that he had to be able to go through the shame that was about to be brought onto him. 
And a little more background on this passage. Mary and Joseph were this young couple doing the best of their ability to do what they can to just build a, a, a honoring of God, going to the synagogue, keeping each other pure before they would be enough to be married. But then all the plans just changed on the right under them. So how would they respond? And what we're going to see is an overemphasis on a lot of details of the, um, in the story about how to show that the change of the plans that they had was the purpose was to show that the child was really the son of God. The child that Mary was going to have, Jesus, was not only was he, is he the Christ, but he is God himself. So if you want to turn with your Bibles, it's in Matthew chapter 1. In verses um, 18, we're starting from there. And we're going to see what happens when the unplanned plans, could they actually be part of God's plan in our life? And whether in your Bibles or open up in front of you, and we're going to also have it on to the screen in, in the back. And we're going to go through this story, verse by verse, and see what we can learn. It says, verse, starting in verse 18, in this beginning of this Christmas story. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, this young couple, before they were even married, I mean, Joseph hears the words that he probably does, any, any guy would not want to hear from his soon-to-be wife. I'm pregnant. How? <laughs> They've been keeping yourself pure for marriage. And not only that, we see later on in another gospel, after he, Mary tells Joseph, okay, uh, preparing for this wedding, I'm pregnant. She goes and takes off to be with her uh, cousin Elizabeth, and Joseph is like, okay, can we at least talk about that? It's not like he could do, go and text her and say, hey, we need to talk about what's going on over here. And she just disappears. And Joseph is all by himself, like wondering, what am I going to do next? This is what we planned for. And one of the words I want to focus here is this word betrothal in this, this verse. And a betrothal is, in, in their context, a little different than what we know today. It's the phase of uh, the relationship in between almost engagement and to a wedding. So for, for, for Mary and Joseph, what they had to do was, okay, we're planning to get married. They've been kind of engaged. So they would go to the local synagogue, go to the priest and register. Okay, in about a year's time, generally, we plan to get married. And the only way to annul this betrothal is to get a divorce. And so when they, they, they went through all of this, so they were essentially married, but not yet. But they couldn't live with each other, and so the husband would have to prepare a place, prepare a room for her during this year-long process of waiting in order to show that he is worthy to have her as his wife. So after returning, Mary, from, from visiting Elizabeth, it's been about probably a three, four months time period, and she's suddenly pregnant. And right now, three, four months pregnant in a woman, she's starting to show. They're not married yet. The town's looking over at them. It's like, oh, what, what happened? What did you guys do? I mean, the talk of the town's going to be going around, just going, it's like, hey, did she cheat? No. I mean, all the questions that could have, all the heads that are turning now towards Mary and Joseph, like, what are they going to do? Because these weren't the plans that they had planned out for. And very similar to them, if we have ever had unplanned plans, could we see, could those actually be maybe part of God's plan in our lives? 
We may have a lot of plans going on for the next few years in our lives, but a few years ago, we all kind of had a thing called the pandemic that kind of changed all of our plans. That wasn't part of the plan. We didn't see that coming. You may have been in a relationship. You thought this was going to go well. Maybe it could lead into marriage, but all of a sudden, the plans changed, and that wasn't part of the plan. You've been at a job so stable. I could probably retire here. Then your whole team gets called into the conference room to meet with HR and wife or for a raise. No. <laughs> then it'll let you go. Or you've gotten to the annual checkup when everything's been going great. And then you get the results. That was not part of the plans. And for, to some degree, and I believe you can agree with me on this, when plans did not go as planned, it comes with a bit of shame, doesn't it? Maybe a little bit of embarrassment. And it just causes this insecurity in our lives. Just back of them. Maybe I, I just want to keep to myself a little bit more. Maybe I, sh- I shouldn't try to step out in faith. Because the shame and embarrassment that can come it can, is holding us back. But it's, for, for, how do we move forward from that? Of the shame that would come for Joseph and for Mary. Even for myself, a shame that has held me back a lot in my life and I had to learn how to move forward was, was, was when I was a child and I was a kid. Um, some of you guys know this about me, but I always held back a grade in my life. So one of the shames that I always had experienced in my life was growing up as a child was that when I started the next grade, I, I was always the oldest one. <laughs> like, is everybody going to find out about me that I'm like, not as smart as everybody else, that I got held back a grade? I mean, it, it was, it's really silly to think, like, you know, okay, but even for me, like, it so affected me so much that even when I was in high school and I was applying for colleges, there were times, even though I had the scores and I had the grades, I didn't want to apply to certain colleges because like, what if they think, this, oh, this guy's dumb because he got held back a grade? They don't even know that. And it really affected me from moving forward and stepping out in faith. Even to me, this, this, during my life now, I was like, I just don't feel like I'm adequate enough to be good enough for a lot of things in life because of that, what happened to me in the past. But I have learned the truth that, of what, how God sees me, and that's what helps, has helped me to move forward from the shame and embarrassment that I have had in my own life. And for the story, the Christmas story, it's a reminder that when Jesus came into the earth, he saw humanity in the shame of their sin. And he came to give us the truth so that we can all move forward from our shame and embarrassment that we have with the sin that's holding us and still affecting us in our lives today. So what did Joseph do? How did he learn? In the next verse, in verse 19, in the passage, it says, And her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He resolved to divorce her quietly, which means he did not believe her when she told him that he was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I mean, would we believe her? I mean, if you were Joseph, I mean, uh, I'm pregnant all of a sudden, but it's by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, sure. But what's interesting is that Joseph, and this is where we learn about his humility, was that he didn't see it as a way of, tra- he didn't get angry. He didn't yell at her, but he, he, he still, in his, the way his mind, he was being justified. He's like, okay, what's going on? I, wait, maybe we'll just divorce quietly. Because Joseph had three choices at this moment. And what was more culturally appropriate at the time for what anybody would have done if they were caught in that situation was that the first is that you know, he could drag her out into the town square and show that way. she's three, four months pregnant. Hey, that's not my kid. And what the crown does, and what the, the punishment for adultery at the time was that they would have stoned her, child inside. 
And that would have been completely okay. But he didn't do that. Or the second thing he did, did was what he was considering to do. So you go back to the synagogue, you go back to the priest. Okay, the, the plans that we had were not what we had planned for. So, okay, we got to apply and file for this divorce. He could have did that. But there was actually a third option. A third option that nobody's ever done before. It's actually kind of crazy. I mean, he could take her still as his wife and adopt the kid as his own. But nobody does that. But let's see what he does, though. In verse 20, in this next passage, sorry, next verse, because when we're up against a big decision in life, look what Joseph does. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This word considered, it's not just like, okay, he thought about it. But this word considered, it means he he took a step back and thought, okay, what is going on here? It also means, in the context from the original language, he had sleepless nights thinking about this. God, I'm just going to divorce her quietly. Isn't that the more better thing to do? But he couldn't do it. And over nights of just agonizing over the decision, he couldn't make that decision because it's such a big decision. And in that time, when he involved God in prayer, God spoke. Because how many oftentimes... Have we just made decisions in our life, just a knee-jerk, quick reaction when we kind of realize later in life, wow, I really should have stopped and thought about what I was going to do before I did something I was going to regret. And oftentimes for us, we just need to slow down, just take a step back in any large decisions we have in our lives, consider to God, what am I really supposed to do, God? And in his time of considering, he saw of all the sleepless nights that the angel was telling him, Mary has been faithful to you. What she said about the Holy Spirit conceiving the child is true. But wait a minute. Then that means if that is true, we are still going to... It doesn't change what the town is going to talk about them. It doesn't change how how others are going to view them. But the way they were moved forward is because the truth of what they know is what's going to help them move forward into the shame. And it's going to be now in this section of the passage where he explains to them, this is the truth that's going to help you move through the shame that's going to come through to you in your life. Starting in verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. She will bear a son. God is doing a gender reveal there. Hey, by the way, it's a son. It's a boy. But it's also a fulfillment of prophecy. For for Joseph, things are starting to connect the dots now. Because he went from planning for a wedding to planning for a divorce. Now I'm like, okay, how am I going to raise a child that's not my own? And the name Jesus, the son, this name that he's supposed to be given, means Yahweh saves. And it's taken from a name in the Old Testament from another character named Joshua, whose name is also he's which comes from Joshua, which also means Yahweh saves. And the story of Joshua, he was the one who took the people from the wilderness and brought them to the promised land. 
But Jesus, in this context, is going to be the one to take us from our forgiveness of our sins and take us into the new promised land, which is heaven. And what's interesting is here in that angel is the one that tells Joseph, this is what you're supposed to name the child. Because in their context, in their culture, the dad always names the child. But Joseph's not the dad. It is God. So God is naming the child to show this is God's only son. And this is a fulfillment of the prophet. It's starting to connect. Thinking about all the things that he studied in synagogue as a child. Like he's like, I think I've heard of this story before. Because in verse 22 to 23, it gets into this, the past. Because all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's two terms I want to go through in, in this, these two verses. The first term is that the term virgin here in, in this verse, it, it comes from this old Hebrew word from Alma, which means young w- woman who is of age to be married. They looked at Mary. Okay, young woman who is of age to be married. This is where the, the Messiah, this is where the Christ is going to come. Checkmark. But how is that supposed to happen? How, is, how does a Holy Spirit conceive a, 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 an egg within a woman? Well, that's the very definition of a miracle. That doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen at all. This is the only time in history that it has ever happened. And it had to have happened it was because Jesus had to be very specific in, in, in nature. 100% God and 100% man. And I'll get a little theological for a second. There's a term that, that we were taught. It's called the hypostatic union of Christ. It's that when the Spirit of God poured into Mary in order to have the egg conceived. And the idea that was explained to me was to imagine for a moment if I had a pitcher of water with an empty glass and to pour in the water into the glass. Where the, the water pours into this glass, filling it. So that the Spirit of God filled up Mary and the Spirit and the egg was conceived in her so that Jesus would be 100% divine and 100% human in order to be the Savior, in order to die on the cross for our sins. But this was already prophesied 700 years ago. They've read this before. And this may look familiar for some of us. If we look in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, I actually don't need to turn there as well. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore, this is how they know, this is how you're just supposed to look for in the coming Savior that's going to deliver people to the new promised land. In verse 14, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. What are they supposed to look for? First thing, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Sound very familiar. They've read this before. They've been waiting for this. So the first sign of the checkbox one is, okay, it comes from a virgin, the Virgin Mary. We got that part. Second thing is that they the checkbox, like, hey, is it God with us? That is the word Emmanuel. Because that's when God coming down to be able to be with us, to move us from shame to love. Because in in, from their context, what they've always had in their beliefs about the deities, about God, so that they're always just gods just up there, gods are just up there in heaven and just doing their own thing, just not even bothering with us. But you know who the real Savior is going to be when God actually is going to be coming down into our into the flesh and being with us, but living amongst us, you and I. And so we're just looking at us, wait, Virgin Mary, 
the virgin, and now spiritually, the child is going to be a, a deity amongst us. This has never happened before. Check that box off. Because you're trying to show to the Jewish audience at the time in Matthew who's writing, the Savior that you guys have been waiting for for 14 generations. This is the Christ. This is the one you guys have been hoping for that will lead us from shame to love. Jesus was the greatest equalizer in history because of what he came. If we were dealing with anxieties in our life, now because of Christ, we were able to cast our anxieties on him because he cares. That we were just to deal with the shame of sin in our own lives, that we could just confess our sins to God because he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. If we've been held back a great, he still loves you. I mean, God loves us no matter what. And when we know that truth, we are able to move forward which is how Joseph moved forward. He moves forward from shame that would come towards him. In verse 24, back in Matthew chapter 1, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph listened in humility and in his faith. Checkbox number three, Joseph adopts Jesus as his own son. And, we, and what that fulfills another prophecy, because 14 generations prior, sorry, 14 plus 14, 28 generations prior, uh, actually, it's, okay, I'm not going to get into the details. But 28 generations prior was King David was in the Bible, and the prophecy was that the lineage, the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. And with uh, Joseph, he is part of that lineage, 28 generations prior. So for him to adopt Jesus is to show that this is fulfilling the prophecy that the one that they've been waiting for is coming from the line of David. And he does what nobody thought he would do, not even what he thought he would do. He breaks customs. I don't know what they told the rabbi when they went back to synagogue. By the way, we just got to get married. We want to get married now. And I'm going to adopt the child that is in here. We're going to get through this together because we know the truth of what has happened, what is happening. Maybe they told the rabbi, that is the Holy Spirit. This is the Messiah in her belly. And then, yeah, I don't know who you believe there or not. But they knew the truth. Even though they would be living with the consequences of making the right decision, they know that the shame that's going to be associated the way that the heads are going to be turned towards them as they're walking around town, just when she's showing, or even when they're raising a child together. It's like, that's not his kid. But they were able to move forward from that, even though the shame that would be into their lives. And it would follow them for the years to come. And just to fast forward a moment from their time, 30 years from the time when Jesus was born, Jesus is now fully grown. And he starts his ministry going out and just teaching others and doing his miracles. And it comes to the point when the crowds were following Jesus now. He's a full-grown man in his ministry. And the Pharisees at the time, or the religious leaders, didn't like how popular Jesus was getting. And they would always have these little discussions or really arguments about you know, who's right. And God would always have a time for them. Jesus would always try to correct them. But... It came to a time 
when the Pharisees were debating with Jesus, like, well, what authority do you, are you saying all these things? And, well, and then the Pharisees, well, and you can ask the Pharisees, well, what authority are you saying all your teachings from? And, and the Pharisees are always saying, well, we come from the line of Abraham, 42 years, generations ago. We come from that line. That's who our fathers, and that's who we come from. And Jesus says, no. Actually, in John chapter 4, they're going into the dispute. I have it on the screen. In John chapter 8, verse 41, as they're going back and forth in this dispute about who your father is, in verse 41, it says, Jesus says to them, you are doing the works your father did. And when he's saying this word father, it's actually referencing to the devil. Because the way you guys are treating the, the people, the way you're telling people that you need to do X, Y, and Z in order to be able to have this connection with God, it's actually called drawing people away from God. And you guys are doing the works of your father, the devil. You guys are not following Abraham. Okay? Look what the Pharisees respond to with Jesus in the next line. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus, who are you to talk to us about who our dad is? You don't even know who your dad is. Oh, we know what happened. Oh, you don't think we don't, no, haven't heard the story about Mary, or your mom? The shame that they, that they had associated all the way from his birth has carried on all the way into his ministry. But knowing that shame, the truth is what keeps us going. I love Jesus' response in verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. And here's the truth. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Shame did not stop Jesus from ministering, because he knew the truth. Shame did not stop Joseph from adopting his son to Jesus, because he knew the truth, but it's shame stopping you this morning. Perhaps it's a decision in our own lives, an insecurity that we feel like, you know, I can't do this, but the, this is the truth of God help you be able to move forward. Is there an anxiety in our own lives that you know, we just feel like we're just inadequate, and then, but yet we, we know the truth of how God sees us, that we are then able to move forward in our lives. About a year ago, um, my, my wife shared the story about me, uh, to me, about our sons. Um, a younger son had asked my, my wife a question. They said, Mommy, um, if you could change anything about me, would you? And just give you a preface about before he, uh, why he asked, he would have asked this question. It's because during the pandemic, we had re we, um, our younger son had, had been diagnosed with a condition that caused certain anxieties that has caused certain stresses in our house. And he has noticed that how he has caused that stress in, his, in our house, and it caused some disharmony and, and our, it's just in our, in our family at the time. So really when he was asking mom, would you change anything about me? He's like, if you could change that condition about me, would you? And my wife's response was, no. We love you no matter what. And, I, and immediately, our, our son, he was so excited. He goes to my older son, guess what? Mommy loves me, even with my condition. But I, had to, I, I meditated on that for, because I wondered, what if we ask God that exact same question? 
God, if you could change anything about me, would you? Knowing my insecurities, knowing he knows all of our sin in our lives, God, would you change anything about me? What do you think he would say? Oh, those anxieties? That's why I sent my son to die on a cross for you, so that you could cast it upon him. You mean the sin that you have in your life? You mean the one that I sent my son to pay for the price that you couldn't pay, so, it could be, so I could, you could be made whole with me? So you could be reconciled in this relationship with me? Do we know the truth of what God says to us so that we, you and I, can move forward from the shame? Because it is the truth that sets us free to know that God loves us no matter what, no matter what your condition is in your own life. And that's where the power comes when we understand who God tells me about who I am. I mean, God calls us by certain names. Because if we feel like we are unworthy, he says you are loved. If you feel like you've been told you are broken, God says, you know, you come to me, I'm going to make you brand new. He calls you chosen. He calls you friend. He calls you greatly loved. He calls you a temple. That's what he calls us. We were once lost, but now we are found. That is what God calls us. And do we know that? The names that he calls us, we have to move the shame that we have, the anxieties, what we could have in our own lives, to move forward with the love that he has in us, in our lives. Because that's where the power of the gospel comes in. That God created us to be with him, but our sins, they just separate us from him. And our sins could never be made right by our good works, but it would do in our lives, but paying the price of our sins. Jesus Christ died on that cross for you and I. So if we believe that, everything that uh, everyone who believes that, anybody who couldn't believe that, will be forgiven. And the life that we live with him starts now and today. Uh, worship team, I'm going to have you guys come back up as we transition to this last response song. Are we ready to move forward in our shame? Maybe there's a decision that we need to make in our lives, but our shame is holding us back. Or maybe insecurity that we have, uh, just dealing with us, but we need to, the truth of God is what's going to help us move forward to step out in faith. But when we make those decisions to follow God in our lives, though it is the right decisions, we may face criticisms for making those decisions, just as Mary and Joseph did. But the truth is what sets us free, what holds us free. And what he helps us keep on going. And that's what we hold on. Hold on to what God calls us. Not what other people may say about us. It's starting to live that life now. Because if we had plans that not go as planned, could we perhaps consider for a moment what of these could be part of God's plans? And if we want to move from our shame to love, the way we do that is with knowing the truth of God, who God calls us to be. And that shame that we deal with in our lives is still going to be with us the years that we've come through our lives. And, we, and when we forget, remember the promises of God. Remember what He calls you and what He calls me. And more importantly, remember, once we were lost, now we were found. And we were wretched and sinner, but yet He loves us for who we are. And He loves us no matter what. Let me pray for us as we move to this last song. 
God, I just thank you for this morning that you love us no matter what. Despite our sin, despite our shame that we have in our lives that we have dealt with, that we are your child still. That if we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive them. And, and we are forgiven. That would motivate us to follow you and to motivate us to follow your teachings, to be an example to others in our lives, and to proclaim that what you did for us in your life is active and working, that others can respond and understand this, that they could be forgiven as well because of what you did for us on the cross, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.